Hey everybody, welcome out to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I'm your co-host, Mike Laidman, and I am joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week we take a movie from our past and we have a look back and see if it's just nostalgia keeping our heartbreaks of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. How you doing, hon? I'm good. Just good? Yeah. Okay. I think I burnt my tongue. On soup? Yeah. Yeah? Eh. That could do it. But, you know, it's soup weather. It is. It's On the day we're recording, it is not a nice day. The weather is rainy, thunderstormy. Windy. Uh, windy. Perfect for a spooky movie. Which, yes, we actually happen to have a spooky movie this, this week, which, you know, we're really close to Christmas. <laughs> so. This movie came out at Christmas. Oh, really? Well, how about you tell us about that in just a second? But first, I got to tell you, this week, we're talking about The Exorcist, which originally hit theaters back in 1973. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. (coughs) The world of darkness. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist. December 1973. And good news, dear. Mm-hmm. A lot of positive things. Oh, really? No murders? No, uh, this was actually a fairly positive month. Oh, that's good. So good thing such a dark, scary movie came out to balance it out. No, uh, December 3rd, Pioneer 10 passes Jupiter, which is the first flyby of an outer planet. Jupiter being the first of the outer planets. Oh, fancy, mm-hmm. fancy. December 5th. Paul McCartney and Wings released the album Band on the Run in the United States. Can you name a song off that album for me? Band on the Run. That's it. Okay. I, I was I was just aiming for you to say the title. I, di- I didn't expect you to sing it, so that's just bonus. We've lost the entire audience at this point. <laughs> December 6th, Gerald Ford is sworn in as the first unelected vice president because of Spiro Agnew uh, resigning over corruption allegations. Remember when like, someone in politics would resign when someone called them corrupt? I have no dun, idea dun, what dun, you're dun. talking about. Wow. And in really good news, and I'm not kidding, December 15th, 1973, the American Psychiatric Association declares homosexuality is not a mental illness. Hey, Told you, good that. news. And interestingly enough, uh, a lot of famous people were born in December of 1973. Big month for birthdays. And I figured it was worth noting. We get folks such as Tyra Banks, Shalom Harlow. Seth Myers, Stacey Abrams, Stephanie Meyer, and Terrell Owens were all born in December of 1973. There you go. Big month. A lot of big celebrities. Yeah. Man, Seth Myers is that old? I know. Wow. That surprises me. You want to know what's you know what's extra crazy? This is only 12 years older than we are. That's we, still... No, no, it's less for you. It's 11 years older. For than... me, yes, yes. It's almost... Wait, how does math work? 
yeah, it's almost 11 years for me too, because I mean, really my birthday is so close to the start of 85 that I mean, really. Whatever. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So The Exorcist. Yes. Spooky movie from the past. One of the spooky movies that if it were today, we would be probably talking about it in uh, leaks with films like Hereditary, Midsummer, The Witch, etc. Mm. in terms of it being a scary movie for the general audience of, right. you know, the, uh, the actual films of merit, not those other scary movies. Right, 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 right. So, and also, this is the, the oldest movie we've done on the show so far. Yeah, because yeah. I always got a one-up, yeah. Okay. Well, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I didn't realize that that's what no, we were trying to No, I'm do. just totally kidding. Okay. I, I've wanted to do this movie for a while, so it, it, it just works. Okay. Well, the, now, I'm sure you have way more memories of this movie than I do, because literally my memories start with you. I had never seen this film. Until you bought it at a secondhand mm-hmm. DVD store mm-hmm. one day, like maybe f- six, seven years ago. Oh, probably more at this point. Well, we've we've been living together for ten years, so in in that old. general area, more than five, because that's how long we lived here, and we watched it at the apartment. Mm-hmm. So, so in that general area, around seven, eight years ago, something like that. And I didn't realize it until we were doing this is this is the the version of the movie we own is the director's cut. So I've never seen, even though I've never seen the original version of this movie, I have no idea what the difference is between the original and the director's cut. There's a few scenes that are like the scene on the stairs where she crab walks down the stairs or the spider walk. That's not in the original. And I hadn't seen that version. Probably the first. Really? Yeah, it's probably not the first five or six times i've seen this movie i hadn't seen that part the ending is a little extended it's a little bit longer that would have been a really good idea of me to look up ahead of time what the differences were because i haven't (laughs) watched the three theatrical cut in a long time ever since the director's cut came out that's all i've seen yeah because that was kind of a big deal so for me in this movie i've seen both the theatrical and the director's cut i mean you know but this was a movie that growing up I think I've talked about it before with the other spooky movies we've done is uh, growing up, you know, sleepovers, especially in the spring and summer. And it would be, oh, we'll get the scariest movies and we'll scare ourselves and see who's, you know, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. And then being scared and every like, you know, growing up, even if I'm sure you'd heard of The Exorcist growing up, even though you'd never watched it, obviously, Mm -hmm. like you knew it was like a scary movie. I believe The Simpsons also parried it a bunch of times. So that's probably true. Probably. So anyway, it's a well-known movie. It's very, very well known for good reason. And so, of course, we had to watch it. And I probably watched it way too young to understand the subject matter in a way that would scare me Mm -hmm. because this movie isn't, oh, it's a ghost. Yeah. Oh, there's something scary in the dark. This movie is scary on a, again, like a hereditary level, a midsummer level, like those sorts of like unexplained circumstances that are happening. And the deeper reason behind those circumstances is what's scary, not the actual event that's happening that's scary. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Especially without some of the scarier scenes that were originally taken out of the movie that were replaced in the director's cut. So I probably watched this movie for the first time when I was around 10 years old and we watched it a lot. Like we watched it a lot growing up because it was the exorcist. So you watched it a lot. And I honestly can't remember how many times I've seen this movie. And then as I got older, I watched it a little less because, you know, because my parents were okay with us watching it too, because really 
There's nothing in it. There's a few swears, but there's no nudity. There's no a few swears. There's no graphic. <laughs> there's no graphic violence. But even when you think of it, it's like no, some of the stuff in this movie is like pretty graphic. But yeah. like, even then, like my parents were like, oh, it's it's old, so it's fine. It's old, so it's, I don't even know if my parents have seen this movie, but it's old, so it's fine. Right. But I, I've watched a lot. And then, yeah, once the director's cut came out, of course, I had to see that right away. So I've seen this movie a lot. But the, the crazy thing is, yeah, the last few years, I've probably only seen it once in the last 10 years, which was when we watched it when I bought it. And it, it's crazy because the times I've watched it, and I guess maybe it's because I've watched more films or even the way storytelling has changed. It's plotting is different and it really does feel like a movie that is plotted like uh, like it's adapted from a book which it is it mm-hmm. is adapted from a book and i didn't realize it watching it years ago but i guess more experience more films that i've seen films i've discussed reading books on screenplays etc cetera, etc cetera, the the format and the layout and the scene structure it's at a very clip pace like the scenes are very quick 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 mm-hmm. And that was something that I really didn't remember, even in my most recent viewing, which again was probably six or seven years ago. Okay. Well, uh, should we just get into it? Like, yeah. No. Like this- well, here's the thing. Like, because normally when we talk about the movie, we like not normally, but there are movies that when they had come out when we were old enough that they. But this movie came out, like I said, long before we were born. Yeah. And we didn't watch it for a long time, so. Luckily, this is a year that thankfully someone online has actually been going back. Maybe they're a fan of this podcast and they're trying to help us out. Oh, maybe. Because it feels like there are new Wikipedia articles about some of the years that didn't exist even five weeks ago. Oh, about box office number one. So it worked out for Beautiful, us. Beautiful, yeah. Or maybe I was looking at something wrong, but it definitely, I couldn't find it before and I found it today. So this movie came out the day after Christmas, 1973, which I mean, Christmas is a pretty popular time for big movies to come out. Like that's, that's not. An uh, Alien versus Predator movie came out on, on Christmas day. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not comparing that to the exorcist. Please then. don't. <laughs> now here's the interesting thing about the box office in the seventies versus today. Like this is one thing looking into this movie that I, I was very surprised by. So the Exorcist didn't premiere number one when it came out, but that's that's not the uncommon thing. That happens a lot. Like yeah. that's normally now a movie doesn't hit if it doesn't hit number one when it comes out, it's not hitting one number one because there's always like a blockbuster. I mean, not in 2020. No, but you know what I mean. A movie called Serpico was uh, top of the film at the or top of the box office at the end of 1973. Then it was Papillon. What? I don't know that movie. I don't know Serpico either. I know Serpico. Oh, I don't know Serpico. Serpico is a Pacino movie. Oh, uh, I don't know if the even the movie, Pap, uh, is it Papillon? Because it's English? Or is it Papillon? I, I have it's no idea. En France. I do not know that movie at all. Papillon means butterfly. Oh, I feel like uh, we're really just like flushing all over our film cred down the toilet I here. Know. <laughs> hey, we weren't born in the 70s. Fair. Uh, but it did take number one in its second week of release. And held that spot for 12 weeks, which it lost to The Sting. The Sting, I do know. Okay. These movies, I don't know. Now, here's here's where things get crazy. It gained number one back in its 26 week with bigger numbers than it made during that first 12 weeks by like times four. Oh, wow. 20, and then held it for three more weeks. And then it lost to Herbie Rides again. That film, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But this is weird because even then, the records for box office, 
at the time, it was only 24 cities. Okay, yeah. It's so all it's, like big US cities like Chicago and New York and LA and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And there are, like, I kid you not, like so many of these movies have notes that's like didn't become number one until it's like 20th week of release or it's 15th week or it was like in, out, in, out, in, out of number one. Like the, these, like the way the box office was in the 70s versus today is so different. Like just it's, it was really interesting to take a deep dive on it. It's something I would love to like look into more because it's so different than it is now. And really 1973 in the grand scheme of things was a blink of an eye ago. Yeah. See, I'm not that old, (laughs) but it was the highest grossing film that was released in 1973 and domestically made during its run now. Cause like the extras have been out so long that it's overall box office take because it had been really releases and blah, blah, blah. But we're just going to do like our initial run from what I found was 88.5 million for number one of the year. Mm Mm-hmm. And adjusted for inflation, that's almost $503 million. Pretty good. It's pretty great. Uh, and then it was The Sting at number two and American Graffiti at number three. And they were all three fairly close in numbers, I would say. Yeah. And then there's a huge dive after that. It goes from like $88 million to like $79 million to like $55 million and then like $20 million. Hmm. Like a real nose dive. So those three movies dominated for 73. And I, then, I know a lot about American Graffiti because it was George Lucas's film before Star Wars. It's a good movie. That movie I, I have, have seen. Yeah, I've seen that one as well. And the, I've never seen The Sting, but what I know of The Sting is its theme music because it's used a lot. And you would know the theme song from Hummus The Sting. Hummus a few bars. Oh, I know that song. Yes. Okay, that's enough. Yeah. We've lost enough viewers with my singing. <laughs> I didn't even sing. I just made noises. I mean, bad enough. Fair. <laughs> they were not great. But yes, it was really fun to to take a look back at a movie that, like, honestly, I've always really enjoyed as a movie and again it was one of my early horror films that wasn't just freddy or jason Mm -hmm. so for me like it's always held like a special place in my heart so on that note Mm -hmm. there was also a lot of things that i kind of forgot and i know you said you've only seen it once how much of it did you remember going in I remembered going into it that, and I mean, like, well, again, we're going to assume that you're listening to this podcast. You've seen the movie before. So we're going full spoilers with everything here. I, I do remember that the actual like exorcism is like at the end of the mm-hmm. movie. And then it like, and it's like, it's a long time into the movie. And even then the exorcism itself is very short. Yeah. And I remember the bit at the beginning where like Max von Sydow is traipsing around in the desert. Mm-hmm. And and then I remember like there is a, a slow build to the fact that she's got the demon inside of her. There's like the little bits where she goes to the doctor and stuff. So I remember that stuff. Mm-hmm. But outside of like I could remember characters faces, but I mm-hmm. couldn't remember their backstories. I couldn't remember uh, uh, the stuff I remember is like your mother sucks cocks in hell and stuff like that. Yeah. And the pea soup and the head turning around, things like that. So the, when it came down to the finer details, that's the stuff that I couldn't remember. Like I remembered the big moments and, you know, the big points, but I couldn't remember like the minutia of 
character motivations or backstories. Like, I completely forgot that the mom was an actress and, oh, really? and, and things like that. Yeah. See, the mom being an actress, like Chris uh, being an actress, I it was always an element of it that I really thought was interesting and unique, even to this day, because as like a mom job in a lot of movies, that that one really stands out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other mom jobs in movies, but it's like, she works in advertising. She works at a newspaper. She's a secretary. She's a lawyer, though. She, yeah, her? she's a sexy lawyer. Like, yeah. lawyer's a big one. Like, it tends to be fairly generic, just job. Right. Nurse. You know, like, it's not, like, some sort of unique position. It's like, oh, she does non-destructive testing. It's like... <laughs> What? You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. Like, but as a, for an actress, I mean, there are movies, obviously horror movies about actresses. Also, you should see Starry Eyes. It's a pretty unique take on movie, and she's a young actress. So that's not the most uncommon thing. So don't, don't. But like her being a mom and an actress, and she's in the city working on a film, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really interesting setup for like just the background. I would say it really lends itself to just like the uniqueness of the story and basically the, how this single woman is obviously affording this big house with servants and everything. Cause in the seventies, I mean, she's either coming for money or like, you know, hate to say it, but in the seventies, the glass ceiling was a lot lower. Yeah. I, when the servants first show up, cause you, you see the servants before you see that she's an actress mm-hmm. and I, and I didn't remember, like I said, I didn't remember that part. So when I saw the servants, I was like, well, la di da, you know, and then and then it was like uh, my first thought because it was the 70s was, well, what's the husband do? Oh, that was my first thought. No, the husband, he's super absent. Well, despite- yeah, but that's but that early in the movie, you don't know that. Like yeah. the first scene you see of with Chris in it is her talking to the servants. Yeah. And then it's her at work. And I'm like, oh, okay, this makes more like, and then you find out later that the husband is not around, you know? Gosh. So at my, that's why my first thought was re- immediately like, oh, the husband's a lawyer or something. And, and what, like, there's a lot more exposition. And I'm pretty sure the director's cut has more exposition than theatrical. I mean, that tends to track. Yeah. But like one of the things is like the director, Burke, even Reagan's like, oh, you like him. And she's like, Teehee, no, like, right. Teehee, no, we're just, I love your dad. Meanwhile, they're separated. Yeah. And that, that seems like something I feel like she's trying to make things seem normal for, cause like if both her, pa- Reagan's parents work in film, yeah, they probably travel all the time. So them being separated is nothing new for Reagan. The idea that they're actually not together anymore. Mm-hmm her mom's trying to keep that from her and eventually it breaks down and you know, you see Chris on the phone with an operator trying to get a hold of her estranged husband to wish his own daughter a happy birthday. And then you hear the mom just going full blown Karen on some poor operator who's like trying to do her job. And Reagan, when was the the last time you spoke to an operator? I don't know if I ever have, (laughs) but no. And then poor Reagan obviously hears the whole thing. And it's one of those little notes kind of showing one of the most common themes with kids who act out in the way that Reagan starts to demonstrate at the start of the film is parents fighting. Yeah. Like that's an absent father and he overhearing her mom yelling at her dad or even not even at her dad, but at the situation surrounding, you know, the relationship and everything like you don't see 
Reagan actually, and that's one of the things I feel like the film kind of makes a bit of a misstep is you don't see why Reagan ends up with the doctor. Yeah. And that's one thing I forgot. Because yeah. like once we started, I was like, oh, right. Because you, you don't really see her starting to act out at home until she tells that astronaut that he's going to die up there. Yeah. And, and but also like it, it just cuts from again, like it's like, like you said, none of the bad stuff starts happening until after she's at the doctor. Yeah. And so like, and again, it's not like I can go back and be like, look guys, all you need to do is don't cut out a scene. Cause I feel like it's probably something that was missed of her, like in or not missed, but maybe even cut out where she, and I haven't read the book and it's one of the books that I would like to read. But I feel like there's like a scene in a classroom or, you know, she, Chris is getting a call from a teacher that's like, Reagan's starting to act out in class. And like all of this would be expected from a kid whose parents are estranged and travel and the job, and et cetera. And like you you really only briefly even glance over her playing with the, the Ouija board. Like yeah. she's only she tells about her, her mom about the Ouija board and Captain Howdy. And it's like there's no real sign of anything which i think because that's this is such a famous movie mm-hmm. like this is right up there with like psycho as like groundbreaking game changing for the the genre like this movie is in the library of congress like the whole thing right? it's a very important film so you know what it's about even if you've never seen it like you kind of know the plot generally you know the power of christ compels you yep, and yep. like the whole thing even if you've never seen it so trying to picture myself as someone in 1973 who's never seen this i almost feel like the confusion of like wait what's going on with this girl what why is she at the doc wait why is she swearing at the doctor that would almost lend itself to the the fear of what is going on yeah there's so much in the unknown yeah the confusion of what is actually happening and putting yourself in chris's shoes because like she might not realize that because she she says like no, my my daughter doesn't swear to the doctor yeah. ever and he's like well he released she released a real like string of expletives at me meanwhile he says like two things yeah and it's a like, string of it's like you want a string you come see me yeah <laughs> i'll teach you a string of expletives of sex expletives. <laughs> yeah no and so like but I feel like, again, in 1973, maybe it was like that. It was lending itself to the confusion of like, you are in, because really the protagonist in the movie is Chris McNeil. Right. Like, it's not Reagan. It's it's not the exorcist. It's definitely not Marin. It's somewhat Karis, but the real protagonist is Chris as a mom. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's very much told from her perspective and that confusion makes sense because you see her start to deteriorate over the course of the movie too. It's true. And also like when you put it that in that sense that Chris is the main character, you, you see the, you see Marin, the mm-hmm. priest and, and you see her just kind of see him and be like, who is that guy? Oh no. She sees Karis. Oh, sorry. I'm getting everyone's names wrong. Yeah, she sees yeah. Father Karras. She sees Father Karras. So she sees Karras, and and you don't find out who he is until after she's like asked who he is. Yeah. And then you get to start to know Father Karras. Yeah. So, yeah, no, what you say about her being the true main character, that makes a lot of sense when you look at it in those kind of beats where, like, he's this unknown until she knows who he is, and then he becomes known. And one of the things about him that I, they get into him as a character really deeply, which 
I like because he's not just some priest. He's a person and then his actions kind of make sense. Like you see his mom who lives alone and he feels guilt for her. Yeah, you see I- he's very physically fit. Also, can I note, I missed 70s style gray tracksuits. What happened to those? Rocky <laughs> wore one. I mean, uh, Danny Zuko wore one. Right. No one wears these gray tracksuits anymore. And I feel like they'd be pretty comfortable and functional. I guess maybe it's more of a sign of where, where they were doing it. Because, I mean, Rocky's out in Philly. Philly can be pretty cold. This was out like Boston area, wasn't it? Washington area? I can't yeah, This is in uh, Georgetown. Georgetown. So, so yeah. very close to, yeah, Washington. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. And, like, but I like that they get into to his life that he, you know, joined the church and he's having a crisis of faith. And he became a psychologist, but he works in psychology for the church, which, I mean, he's the perfect person really for her to go to because like her daughter is exhibiting what you know you or i would see as really disturbing psychological issues right and so like but that's really good but he he's obviously got his own issues and also can i say his uncle is a dick yeah real dick yeah like he's just it's like oh karis's mom who's hurt her leg and lives alone and you know has a fall and he's just like oh i threw her in the cheap hospital whatever she's just an award with all the crazies yeah and it's like well couldn't you help her i was like well too bad you st- became a priest you could have been working on wall street and making bank for her so it's your fault it's like but what about she's your sister she, yeah she's your sister like you could help out too man he's like free hospital nuts to that nuts to you yeah Christo. but but actually this is a note that i wrote down when it comes to his backstory if this was a modern movie they would have shown none of that and it would have been told in an expository dialogue scene yeah, like like that other priest that that Chris knows when she asked about him, he he'd have given the speech of oh here because he does kind of say that like when he when she asked he says oh here's the story about what happened to her but that's all it would be yeah you know like they would they wouldn't show him in in his dorm room talking to this this other guy who who you know brought the bottle of booze and they were talking and yeah and him putting him to bed and those guys are friends they wouldn't have shown any of that stuff in a modern movie it would have been. Oh yeah, his mom died, and nobody saw it. You know, yeah, like it was, and that was it. You know, yeah, they would have laid it out a bit more. Also, the other priest whose name I don't remember the the party priest, the party priest never realized that he definitely is gay. <laughs> okay. Well, no, there there's a lot. I think he like there's got to be some sort of subtext there because you could tell he definitely has close feelings for Karis. Mm-hmm. He, when he's playing the piano, there is a, a very stereotypical gay flamboyancy to his performance. Was it intention, an intentional choice? Like, obviously, there are still to this day a lot of people who, if you're raised in the church and, you know, you've been told your whole life that, you know, the people you're attracted to make you a sinner, like going into the church might be a way to. Quote, unquote, as we talked about earlier, you know, until literally the month this came out, being gay was considered, you know, a mental illness. Right. So joining the church as a gay man would be a way to cure, quote, unquote, or escape this sin or illness that you have. Meanwhile, it's not. It's just who you are. Mm-hmm. So, but I definitely, when I was watching it, I'm like, there's a lot of just ways that he presents himself that I'm like, I feel like this was an intentional choice that he obviously has a thing for Karis. And you know what, if I'm wrong, I'm I'll apologize and be completely wrong. But I feel like there's something he, he really has an affection for Karis. He cares about him. 
and he likes to be close to him. And I'm just like, I feel like he has a, th- you know what? If this movie came out today, they would have amped that up and there would be shippers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But also speaking of things that were very different from today versus then, oh, well, Reagan's just got it's it's a disorder of the nerves. Right. Yeah. It's just nerves. It's such a like 60s, 70s diagnosis. Like it's like, what nerves? Today we would like the doctor would be saying, like, she's presenting with very early onset schizophrenia or, you know, borderline personality disorder, or they would be presenting like actual things. And then the doctor is like, nope, you don't want to see a psychologist. Nope. You really don't want to see a psychologist. No, 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 no. Psychologist. No, you don't want to see a psychologist. Now it'd be like, so when I was at therapy with my therapist, and then when I was at psychology with my psychologist, it, it's such a different attitude about mental health. And even then we need a better attitude about mental health now. But holy moly, the fact that the doctor is like, psychology? No, thank you. They're just going to give you pills. Have these pills instead. And also, when they were like, oh, our tests found nothing. Let's just do more tests. Yeah. You know, like- also, when he's like, the tests found nothing. One sec, I'm going to have a smoke in the hallway of a hospital. It was, was the like, 70s. It I'm was like, the 70s. How did we survive as a species? He's just smoking a doctor, smoking away in the hospital. There's like oxygen machines in the hospital and like, who knows what else? And he's just smoking away in Chris's face. Well, I mean, there's no oxygen machines in his office, I, you would I assume. I know, but it was just the weirdest thing that like, because we grew up, I, I can remember when I was, even when I was early high school, enough to babysit my sister, but mm-hmm. like never before I, it became illegal to smoke in like a bar and at, and people just really do not smoke as much as they used to. And people don't smoke inside their own homes. Like younger people, they tend to go outside because they don't want to like you know, ruin the paint in their house and stuff. Cause it's just disgusting. It seeps into your walls and everything. Right. So if you're smoking, you're doing it outside. Right. Anyway, I remember my parents, not that they went out much, but they would go out and they would come home and just stink of cigarettes. Everything must've stunk so bad back then. In the seventies. Like, you just must've smelled like cigarettes nonstop. But like, when we were old enough to go to bars and stuff, it wasn't legal to smoke in a bar here. You can't. Yeah. So I never experienced going out and coming home smelling of like just absolutely just sting. Like, and then my mom would just put their coats back in the 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 closet, and I'm like, everything's gonna stink like that. But anyway, but it's just it was it's such a weird thing because we are discussing how different you don't see that in movies anymore either. No, unless it's a period movie. Unless it's a period movie like Mad Men. Yeah. Man, things must have stunk back then. Probably. I mean, not like 1800 stink, but like 60, 70 stink. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Well, speaking of Reagan and her, all the procedures they put her through, one of the things that this movie got a lot of like half criticism from people like, it's going too far and half like, oh my God, you have to see this movie. Word of mouth. She goes and undergoes this procedure that I should have written down. And it's super realistic. So basically what they're doing, normally in this procedure, I looked into it, they go through like an artery in your leg because the chance of rupturing what they go through in her, on the movie is her carotid artery, artery mm. in her neck. And the chance of like rupturing that is pretty high. So they don't do that. And they really don't do this much anymore anyway. But it's basically they're inserting a dye and then x-raying the dye 
and to see the scar tissue that they think is there in her in her frontal lobe or whatever. But it's done very realistically. And can I just say, oh my God, as someone who's unfortunately had to go through like nothing, like I make it sound like it's like, I don't want to say like I have a chronic illness, but like I've been pregnant, had a C-section, you go through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. like, And the amount of times I've heard, like even as a woman, just, oh, you'll just, it's just a little pinch. Oh, it's a little pressure. And you can see Reagan just like freaking out and like trying to hold still and everything. Oh my God. I haven't had anything stabbed in my neck, but I've had things stabbed other places. And it's just like, oh, it's just a little pinch. It's like, that is not a little pinch. Don't you lie to me. I find they make women go through that stuff a lot more than men. And that's not fair. She's only a 12 year old girl and it's stupid, but accurate to what really happens. So good for them portraying that accurately. Okay. It's one of those things that just like, and if you go on, thankfully people talk about it more, but if you go on a message board now and you're talking about any sort of like thing like that, someone will say, and then, oh, and they tell you, it's just, oh, you'll feel a little pinch. It's like, that is not a pinch. That That is agonizing. So to know that this has been like, I don't know, I feel like doctors should go through this st- some of this stuff to like be like, look, I'm really sorry. This is going to hurt. Just be honest with me. It's not a little pinch. Anyway. Okay. Poor Reagan. She went through a lot. Well, yeah, she had the devil inside of her. It wasn't the devil. Sorry. It was he, Pazuzu. Uh, yes, I knew that, but also there's that line where she's like, I'm the devil. So yeah, but demons lie. It's one of the things they do. It's Pazuzu. It's the demon that Marin encounters in Iraq. Yes. Which is one of those things where it's like, how did he connect? I, I know the whole thing is he's supposed to have gone through the Ouija board to get, to, but it's it's very like serendipitous that the demon that he dis- was hunting for in northern Iraq was the demon in Reagan and it just worked out that someone was like what about Father Marin he's back from Iraq you see it was all meant to be you know I'm gonna yeah it, it, that just works divine intervention maybe maybe it was Jesus it was Jesus with the baby Jesus <laughs> the way you say that I know you're just referencing Top Gear yeah. and Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> it's the best way to say it. The baby Jesus. The baby Jesus. Okay. It's a, I think it's a very British thing. Right. <laughs> okay. But yes, she had the she had Pazuzu in her. So, mm-hmm. you know, she did have a bad time. You're not wrong. Do you know the first like four or five times that I watched that movie, I didn't notice the little cuts of Pazuzu? Really? The, I was a kid. I feel like on this watch, I, I remember that like, because I know they're subliminal, quote yes. unquote. But I felt like I didn't catch them the first time I watched them, but this time they were so obvious. Yeah, because you're—I think you know you're watching for them. But I think I knew I was watching for them the first time, and I feel like I saw them, but like I didn't remember that. You know, uh... like I remember because in this day and age, if you haven't seen the screenshot of just the like up face of like, uh, you know that that. <laughs> That, you know exactly the face I I'm like talking about. I like that you about. have a sound effect for Earth. <laughs> that's, that's the face. Earth. It's that <laughs> demon face. There's no way you haven't seen that screenshot. Because that's yeah. like what they, if if you're watching, like a, looking at a top 10 list of like, you know, I'm on BuzzFeed. What are the top 10? Sc- they've used that Earth screenshot, right? <laughs> like that, just Earth. That's the screen cap that they've shown is the screen cap of Pazuzu. Just like, and I remember seeing that and be like, man, that's scary. And then like we watch the movie and it's in it for like, boop, it's done. It's, it's Earth, and it's over with, you know, but I felt like in this, in this viewing, they were a lot more noticeable. 
Yes. Than than previous times. And it makes sense that they're more noticeable the more often you see it. And there's a lot of and it's it's one of those movies that I feel like there are a lot of things that you just like notice more and more of going on. But like being of not small things, can we talk about the spider walk? Okay, yeah. Because I've like I said, I, I hadn't seen that version of the film until later. They were like, Oh, it's too scary. That's why we had to get rid of it. It's too scary. And then they like I remember it being a big deal when they announced that they were, they were releasing it with a back in and people were like, Oh my god, and I was like, I have to see this. And looking at it, watching it now, it looks so cartoonish. The scariest part of that effect is when it's the cut of her at the bottom of the stairs and she's spitting up blood. That's yes. the scary part. Oh, 100%. But I remember like, I remember watching that because, of course, we had to watch this movie when the director's cut came out. And like, so I, you know, my my tween age girlfriends and I watching it and being all like, ah, 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 and like amping each other up. But I remember not being scared by it at all. It was like, it was cool. But like, I just, could you imagine that shot getting cut out of a movie today for being too scary? In this movie, they were like, it should have been rated X. I mean, yeah, I know rated X now is not the same, no. but like, it's just like context wise, like this movie really isn't, unless you're Catholic, I don't think this movie is very scary. It's a horror movie. And we talked about this, like, I fully believe because there's people like, I'm not scared by anything. They're not really horror unless it can scare me. It's like, no, horror doesn't necessarily have to be scary. It's still horror. So I'm not one of those people. Right. But I'm just like, I really feel, because like, you know somebody who's sort of in your family, but not really, who thinks this is the scariest movie of all time, but she's Catholic. Right. This is true. And I think that's a big part of it is like, I should have, not that it would have done me any good, but I think if I picked up two or three more courses in it, I would have had a minor in religious studies in university. I really like religious studies. It's very interesting. Like I have a history degree. Religion and history are kind of intertwined pretty closely. And like obviously Christian and Catholic religious history is so ingrained in worldwide history because of colonialism that like I know a fair bit about Catholicism and how it works and everything, despite the fact that like I grew up and was raised atheist, like not even intentionally, just like we didn't at home at all. So I think maybe that's part of why I'm very interested in it. So like going in, like I know all the stuff about it, but none of it I find the concept of possession and stuff is not because there's. Here's the thing: <laughs> what kind of spooky stuff do you believe is like even a maybe? Because like for me possession is like bottom no it's not a thing but i'm kind of like well, maybe there are ghosts and i definitely think there's aliens what about vampires no no vampires no there's just people who have um there are people who have a genetic disorder where they can't process iron and they actually like drinking blood is a way for them to actually be able to get iron there's a csi episode about that and that that's realistic like that so like there's a lot of and same with like werewolves where people genetically just having extra body hair and stuff like a lot of that stuff comes from that what about uh, swear wolves oh god those are scary <laughs> no <laughs> but no you know what i'm saying right like yeah. it's but like when it comes to actual like paranormal stuff i really don't think possession is real and i definitely fall because like people are like oh an exorcist cured me and everything meanwhile people have freaking died from exorcism a lot of them, most of them end up killing the person they're trying to save because they like starve them and everything it's like but the the whole idea that really it works quote unquote is that it's psychological and it's breaks quote unquote the the psychological 
hold on somebody that like they believe so deeply that they're possessed that until they're have the exorcism they can't get back but most exorcism obviously don't do anything because the person's just really mentally ill so i was just wondering like do you do you feel like possession and exorcism is real and not even like real but even like plausible plausible one foot in reality i honestly until you've asked me this i've never considered it really Ever. no Interesting. It's, it's been a thing that exists in fiction to me and i've never really thought about like oh yeah all of these cases are never not even once so that's your answer <laughs> well i'm just curious because like and then i it made me that's when it made me think but what what paranormal things out there because like for me i would say the thing in movies that scares me the most and i think i've told you this before I don't watch a lot of movies with like scary aliens in them because alien abduction scares the ever living poop out of me. Right. Which is hilarious because my favorite show of all time is the X-Files, which scares me. Like the idea of being abducted by aliens and possibly part of why that scares me so much is because I, I would say personally for me, out of all the like supernatural and scary like subjects, I feel like it is the most plausible Okay. Well, no, the most plausible is like a mass murderer. Like, well, definitely, killer, like, yeah. You like, know. you're more likely to be killed by J- Ghostface. I was about to say Jason Voorhees, but he's kind of a supernatural zombie killer. Ghostface is a much better example. Yes. Yes, Ghostface. Let's go with Ghostface. Ghostface. Like, or like an Anthony. Oh, not Anthony Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Right. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like, because like those guys are they're based off real people, like the Gainesville Ripper and Ed Gein. But when it comes to the supernatural baddies, aliens are the ones that are most plausible. When you say aliens, my immediate thought goes to xenomorph aliens. Oh no! Which I'm a big fan of those movies. You got to understand that. Which that's I what agree, happens. they're great. They, they're great. Don't get me wrong. But like I'm, saying- I know you're talking about little green men, like gray, the gray aliens Ugh. with their giant eyes no, and their flying saucers. They'll, they'll abduct me and do experiments with me. <laughs> uh-huh. Then they'll harvest my my eggs. Okay. <laughs> Make clone babies. Alien bounty hunters. Okay, now we're just talking about it. I know. So, but like, and then below that is is ghosts because like, what happens to the energy that your body outputs after you die? And then it's like vampires and werewolves and like cryptozoology and stuff. Then it's possession. So that's probably at the end of the day in the most roundabout way possible that I personally don't find this movie very scary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a long way to get there. A really long way to get there. Sorry. No, that's fine. Still a great movie. And continue. Okay, I was going to say, I, I feel like we're getting to a point where we're just, we should just be wrapping things up. Well, no, I want to know before we wrap things up. Oh, okay. The scene with, because this movie has a lot of shocking scenes that even today, I would think one could consider shocking, especially the scene where Reagan masturbates with a crucifix yes that is shocking 73 2003 2023 doesn't matter like 12 year old girl masturbating with a crucifix shocking Mm -hmm. but in that scene do you know ellen burstein actually severely injured her back 
No, I didn't. Yeah, she was like left with like a lifelong injury because of that. Because she gets pulled back on a harness when Reagan slaps her away, and she actually her reaction to that scene is real because she was in terrible pain. No, I did not know that. So there you go. There's your trivia for the day. Okay, well, I mean, I have one point that I wanted. I've been wanting to make, but I just really had no point to make it. Like no time. No, there was nowhere for me to fit it in. But I'm gonna make it. Just because it's literally like the only big point that I've written down that I have not mentioned again. And then we can wrap up unless you have any more points there. But the scene that I thought you were going to talk about was the shocking moments was when her head turns around. So when her head turns around, she starts talking in the voice of the director. Huh. And I never would have caught that if we weren't watching it with the subtitles. Because it says in Burke's voice. You know, like, uh, tell her what she did. It's like, that's the line, right? Is yeah. tell her what she did. And I never noticed that. I mean, I guess when we watched it the first time, I just assumed it was just the the the, the demon voice. Yeah. The Pazuzu voice. Because the Pazuzu voice is very deep and very mm-hmm. like, Argh. But yeah, no, it wasn't until the subtitles that I realized it was talking through Burke's voice, being like, tell her that she killed me kind of a thing. Yeah. So, yeah. A couple more things that I noticed. One, after Marin dies of a heart attack, and you don't even see him die, he just dies. And like, you see Reagan, like, she's f- free. She's not tied up anymore. She's just sitting there watching, and she looks like Pazuzu looks just as shocked as anybody else that Marin's just dead. Right. You can tell he's like, did, did I win? Yeah. Because, like, Pazuzu's scared of Marin. Like, they obviously have history. He doesn't want to have Marin there, and he's like, oh, I don't like Marin. Obviously, they they're not bros. So you can tell he's like, he's like, what? He, uh, hmm. Huh. And you just tell the way Reagan's sitting there watching. And like for a 12 year old girl, Linda Blair is like, holy crap, acting her like face off. Cause you could tell like the, the look is just like, huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But then Karis just goes nuts and starts beating the crap out of a 12 year old girl. <laughs> he's just like, Poof! Yeah. Like a few, and like, again, like it's one of those things that it, it's shown he's a boxer. This isn't just some guy just like, eh, eh, eh. this guy knows how to fight. He clocks this 12 year old <laughs> girl with his boxer mitts, just like, boom, bare knuckles are in the face a few times. I mean, I know the reason why is because he's trying to save her life. And then he does something really heroic at the end and like takes the demon into himself and then throws himself out that window, which we know earlier because of Burke's death that jumping out that window, going to get you dead. Yeah. But that's actually, I did write a note. The other priest was Dyer, Father Dyer. And at the end, I was like, oh, does Dyer love Karis? And I think that's where my earlier thinking was like, is is Dyer gay? And then when he's dying at the end, you could tell Dyer's like really upset about it. Like, and not just, he feel there's a real closeness between them. And then one of the things I kind of realized at the end, besides a little bit of the tubular bells, there's like no underlying soundtrack to this movie. Yeah, that's true. It's very quiet. Mm-hmm. And again, I feel like this maybe is more something to do with it being the seventies than it being a choice for the movie. Maybe I, I don't know. That's well, the, yeah. So it like it lends itself to like just the I would say almost eeriness of it not having any music except for a little bit of tubular bells. Okay. So, yeah. 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 Well, I, I actually I just remembered one more thing I wrote down, okay. and it was right from the beginning of the movie, which is why I don't think we we even had a chance to talk about it. We just went way past it. But Max von Sydow 
interact at the beginning of the movie, it hit me because I'm looking at Max, Max von Sydow and I'm like, man, this dude was just old forever. And then I remembered, no, he's not. He's wearing makeup. Yeah. He's like 40 and they've dressed him up to look like he's 80. Yeah. And yeah. I would say, I mean, I know the movies are about 12 years apart. But the makeup in this is better than the makeup in Back to the Future. Yeah. He looks like he did when he he was in the Star Wars movie he was in a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah, he he definitely has a very they they aged him up very accurately, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but anyway, that's the last that's the last point I wanted to make. And unless you have anything else, we can go back and see what the critics had to say. Yeah, no, let's go back and take a look what they had to say about the movie. Currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an eighty three percent critical approval rate. And an 87% audience approval rate. Stanley Kaufman and the New Republic wrote, This is the scariest film I've seen in years. The only scary film I've seen in years. Do you think he was gathered? Maybe. Mm, maybe not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert, my favorite. When we get a, to a movie that's like before Roger Ebert was like reviewing films, it's like, what am I going to do? Uh, of the Chicago... Sorry? Or after... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Roger Ebert gave the film a complete four-star review, but said, I am not sure exactly what reasons people will have for seeing this movie. Surely enjoyment won't be one. That's fair, yeah. Again, because there, there are movies out there that are amazing pieces of cinema that are not enjoyable. Uh, first movie off the top of my head, Requiem for a Dream. I've never seen that. It's not enjoyable. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, other movies that are amazing, and I would never want to rewatch uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Mind you, The Exorcist I've seen a ton, so I don't agree with him on that. Fair. So, but actually, there are some like, and even then, back then, like people were like, "This movie's disgusting." Blah 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 blah. Despite it being great, uh, Vincent Canby for the New York Times dismissed it as a chunk of elegant. Cultist Claptrap, a practically impossible film to sit through. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty hard. Scathing. Yeah. Very, very unimpressed. I like that he called it Occultist Claptrap, which is why I included it. Because <laughs> nobody says Claptrap anymore. Uh, unless they were talking about Borderlands. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. But yeah. how about, since this was your movie, you get to go first with your review. Yeah. I, I give it a double butter. Like, I know stylistically it's got some and that's the whole point i'd say of this podcast is not just does it hold up but like how different films are now versus 10 20 30 years ago this film is almost 40 years old no i'm almost 40 years old this film is almost 50 years old Ew. <laughs> but anyway uh -huh. oh i'm almost 40 what the hell is that about okay go your movie here sorry anyway you can save your existential crisis for after the show. <laughs> Go eat some pie. No, like it is a very interesting, unique movie, especially for its time. And I really think, especially as someone who is a horror fan, like I feel like I don't want to gatekeep because I hate that shit. Because there are horror films out there that I haven't seen that are important horror films. But I feel like if you are a horror film fan, this is a movie that I would recommend you you make sure you watch because of its importance and not just the genre of horror, but on film in general. Um, and 
it, it's just a well-crafted film. A two? Hilariously, I agree with a lot of what you said. That the film has, you know, importance, especially if you're into horror films. I mean, just in general filmmaking and like, th- there's a lot that this, a lot that is owed to this movie. Mm-hmm. Because of what other filmmakers have done since. But I would say that it's not like, I, I, I almost said worth watching and that's not true. That's so you, not, kinda, you hold it a Roger Ebert. I'm giving, I want to give it a, I'm going to give it a plane. Yeah. I kind of felt you would, but yeah. yeah. I, I recognize its importance. I mm-hmm. really do. And, and I would recommend that people see this, but it's not like, this is going to be the movie that you rush out to see because you will enjoy it for a reason X, Y, Z. The reasons I think to see it are the stuff that you just said of its importance to film and its importance to the genre and, and things like that. But I wouldn't put it as like, but you need to watch it just because yeah. kind of a thing. You won't be entertained by it. Yeah. Definitely. Which I feel is like I am entertained by it. Like I said, I've seen it a bunch of times. I do. I really like this movie. So I, I feel like your review really matches Roger Ebert. It's like, you're like, I, this is a great movie. This is a fantastic movie. I don't know why anybody would want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't go that far. But you know I, what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, it's like I, get, I, kinda I, went, I was a little hard, hyperbole on both ends of this movie is fantastic. No one should watch it. It's a little in the middle there. Yeah. Like somewhere in between. I, I had a feeling that you were going to go with a plane. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm not shocked one bit. I'm excited to find out. So, here's here's the thing. <laughs> Next week is Christmas. Next week is Christmas. It's, it's not exactly it's Christmas, Christmas, but it is our it is our closest episode to Christmas. Yeah. And you have not told me what you were, and you've said for a while you'd figured out what you wanted to do for Christmas, and that you felt bad that you got all the holiday movies. It's true. I had Halloween. I had Christmas. I'll get one of them in there. I have. I think I have the first movie of the new year as well. Probably. I probably have end up with Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day. Okay. <laughs> So Bastille I think day. I figured out because you had your own slip of the tongue. I earlier, did have what a the slip. movie was. Uh-huh. But leading into this, I had three that I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you and you can't tell me if I'm right or wrong until the end. OK, I'm going to go stone face so you can't. I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to okay. look down and look. And OK, so my first thought was you were actually going to pick Home Alone because you love me and you know that's my favorite Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. My second thought was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, because classic. Mm-hmm. And my third is an outlier, and I don't even know if it qualifies, but I feel like because it's Christmas, we'd let it slide. Jingle All the Way. Okay. I really thought it was going to be Jingle All the Way. Mm-hmm. But now- None of those. Now the I know I'm wrong. Yes. And it is- It is going to be Gremlins. Yeah. And did you figure that out from my slip of the tongue? or Because you, you went, that out? I went, grr. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it took me a bit. And I was like, it's a Christmas. And I was like, wait, no, you're going to go with a movie that's Christmas, but not Christmas. Yes. Which and, this and movie is. I remember you saying that you thought I was going to pick Die Hard. And I felt that Die Hard was too obvious. 
And also there was another movie that I was considering as well, but I promised a person that they could be the guest for that episode. And it's someone that we've already had for a guest. Yep. So and I, I knew it wasn't going to be Batman Returns. Yes. I didn't want to have a repeat Which is so such quickly. a good movie. Yes. And we watch like every year anyway. Yes. I also wondered if, cause you said, Gah, and I was like, is GoldenEye set at Christmas? Because I remember there's snow in GoldenEye, but I think that's because they're in Siberia. Yes. Um, but there's there's like a lot of movies that are like secretly Christmas movies, right? So I'm like, oh, did he pick one of those? Gremlins is a little bit more of a Christmas movie. Because it takes place at Christmas. Like it's, it's not just that it takes place at Christmas, but it is intentionally a Christmas movie. There is moments in the plot that relate directly to Christmas. Yeah, so Christmas not, is important to characters' backstories. Yeah, so it's not the same as... Some of the other movies there, it's like, well, it takes place at Christmas, so it's technically a Christmas movie. Yeah. I was worried that you thought it was going to be Lethal Weapon, because if you recall, I recommended Lethal Weapon because my memories of it were that it was like Die Hard, where it was a fun action comedy Christmas romp. And Lethal Weapon 1 is not a fun romp. No, but, I did uh, not enjoy no, it. No, I was thinking more of the later Lethal Weapons, which are a lot more fun. I have seen one of them. I saw one of the ones with Joe Pesci, and I th- He's in three of them, so. And I think with Chris Rock. Chris, oh, then you've seen the last one. Then okay. That's the only one you've seen. Then that's the only one I've seen. And if I remember, the fourth one has a lot of racism in it towards Chinese people. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> that's that's the way I recall. I remember there's a lengthy scene when they're in a Chinese restaurant making like weird bad jokes. But anyway, if, if Mel we ever... Gibson racist, <laughs> shocking! I know, Shocked. shocking! I know. But next week we will be talking about oh. not not Lethal Weapon. We will be talking about Gremlins. You know what? So... I'm glad because I haven't seen Gremlins in a long, long time. I thought you'd also appreciate it because it's got a horror element to it. Yeah, no, I'm on board. There you go. For Christmas, we're going to be talking about gremlins. So for this episode of Burn Popcorn, I'm Mike. I'm Laura. And we hope you'll join us next week. Until then, we'll talk to you again soon.